to Tales of Panam, a Hunger Games podcast. My name is Claire, my pronouns are she, her, and I'm glad to have you all joining me this week. Make sure to check out my social media, which is at Tales of Panam on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok for updates, episode information, and more. This week's episode will cover chapters 10 through 13 of Catching Fire, and as usual, I'm going to start off with a brief recap of the chapter. Katniss learns that the two women she discovered in the woods are named Bonnie and Twill, and they escaped from District 8 after an attempted uprising that ended poorly. They tell her that they are heading to the supposedly destroyed District 13, believing that the people there have been living underground. Katniss gives them food and sends them on their way. When she goes to return home from the woods, the electric fence has been turned on and she hurts her ankle jumping over it. Back at home, two peacekeepers are waiting for her and she makes up a story for where she was all day. Having no evidence that she has been in the woods, they leave. While watching TV during her recovery from her ankle injury, Katniss notices that Bonnie and Twill were telling the truth about the Capitol reusing the same footage of District 13 they've been using for years. Amidst all of this, Cinna and her prep team come from the Capitol for her bridal photo shoot. Once they leave, Katniss updates Hamish on everything that has happened from Bonnie and Twill to the District 13 footage, but he tells her it's foolish to believe that there is anything left of 13 just based on this. President Snow goes on TV for the reading of the card, which is when he reads the card stating what the rules for the third quarter quell will be. It is revealed that the tributes for the 75th games will be reaped from the existing pool of victors, and Katniss suspects that this was not the original card for the quell. She goes to Hamish and tells him that they have to save Peta, and Hamish agrees to volunteer if Peta's name is drawn. Peta, on the other hand, insists that they all start training to increase the chances of at least two of them surviving. At the reaping, Hamish's name is drawn and Peta volunteers. Katniss and Peta are immediately dragged off without being allowed to say their goodbyes. So let's start right off the bat here with Bonnie and Twill. Bonnie and Twill are these two young women that Katniss meets in the woods outside of District 12 who have escaped from District 8 after the events of the uprising and are now on their way to District 13. And the reason that they believe District 13 is still out there is because the Capitol has been reusing this District 13 footage and they can tell because of the Mockingjay flying. There's a Mockingjay that flies by in the corner and it like loops itself basically. And Katniss, Katniss has some thoughts about the District 13 thing, but let's first talk about Bonnie and Twill and the fact that Katniss doesn't hesitate at all in deciding to help them. Um, she gives them food. Uh, she lets them, you know, warm up and and helps like treat them as best as she can. And just like genuine, generally like lends them whatever aid that she is able to. Um, and it's so second nature for her because she's an incredibly selfless person. And like, if she were to be caught with them, she would literally be killed. And so would they, but she's not going to, hesitate when it comes to helping them um especially because like that could have been her you know her and gail have talked like not even just in this book but in even the first book they talk about like running off together and they decide against it um because of how dangerous it would be and their families and stuff but like that literally could have been her if if she decided to go along with that or if like things had gone differently and she hadn't been the one who got reaped like literally or who went to the games um like under different circumstances she could have been the one fleeing from her district and literally almost was in this book um when she because she literally like tries to get everyone to leave with her to save their lives because snow is threatening to kill all of them and she could have been the one out in the woods with almost no one left on just trying to survive and get somewhere that might take her in and so she sees these two women she sees a bit of herself in them one of them is like literally a girl but you get my point. Um, and uh, yeah, immediately like gives them whatever food she has. 
Um, and it literally is a direct route to her because by the time she comes back, the fence is back on and she like literally has peacekeepers waiting at home for her when she was literally just out in the woods committing treason to help these two women from District 8. And so, because one, she's already not allowed to be in the woods, but aiding people who are running away from the district to go join a rebellion that they believe is happening in District 13, like, yeah, that's that would get you executed. It doesn't matter who you are, if you're a victor or not, like, that. it doesn't matter anymore at that point. But she still risks it. And she, like, knows that there is a good chance that she could be being watched all the time, but specifically in the woods because of, like, Snow knowing about things that happened out there. And she even suspects, like, when the fences turned back on that, like, maybe they saw her go out and turned it back on. So when she tried to come back, it would be on. But, like, she cannot rule out the possibility that she's being watched. Like, it is it is very dangerous for her to help them. But she doesn't second-guess that decision at all because she is an incredibly selfless person whose main priority is always helping others, whether it be her family, PETA, whoever. She always wants to protect people. But the fact that these are two complete strangers, she literally just met them and she's still willing to literally risk her life to help them. And this is not the first time she's risked her life to help someone she really knows. And I'm telling you right now, it will not be the last. But the other part of this is this, what if District 13 is still out there? Which is very interesting because to Katniss, the idea that District 13 has actually been hiding with a bunch of weapons that they could have been using against the capital while the other districts are suffering makes her actually angry like she is angry at this this sort of like hypothetical rebel like stirrings of rebellion going on in district 13 if they've been around for the last 75 years and like are known to have been manufacturing weapons and are not helping the other districts that makes her mad and she's got points like there's a lot of there's a lot of interesting discussions to be had around like district 13 and it's something that I'll definitely keep kind of circling back to but it's their situation is so interesting because like yeah if they do exist if they are still alive and they have weapons and they are aware of the suffering of the other districts why not step in and do something but also on the flip side of that we're talking we're talking about like nuclear weaponry here that could and probably would destroy the entire country if they used it because the capital would not hesitate to retaliate and just kill everyone. And it, like it, the the like looming threat and like the nuclear warfare thing is obviously something that is very discussed in like our real world now of like, there's no going back from that. And so, but also, you know, there is the like, they have other weapons too, you know? And it's not just like, it's not saying that the, they either do nothing or like drop a nuclear bomb on the Capitol. Like those are not their only options. But it's still, there's a lot of risks involved with breaking out weapons like that because for everyone else, yeah, the capital, you know, they have they have hovercrafts, they have bombs, like stuff like that. But for the people of the districts that are like starting these uprisings, they just have whatever weapons they can scrounge up. So it's usually going to be like a gun stolen from a peacekeeper or like something that you would use in your work, but that could sort of be like repurposed as a weapon. But once we're getting into like missiles and like heavy explosives, that's a whole different game. And the last war ended really badly. And like, not just because the capital won and, and it ha- established this horrible government that is oppressing everyone, but also because a lot of the country was destroyed. And that's not just District 13. It's also 
like the capital was in horrible shape and that's not to be like oh my god poor poor capital they got they got attacked during the war too but i'm saying that like it's not just you know the highest number of districts that they destroyed that felt the negative effects of the war it's every other district up to and including the capital and a second war of that scale with even more advanced weapons could potentially just wipe out the entire country so it's definitely like a, a delicate situation but also to Katniss's point it's like but they have the means to to fight back why aren't they doing that or at least making themselves known if they really are, are out there and that's why she kind of talks herself into like no they're not out there because they wouldn't let this happen to us there's also she tells Hamish about this and he's like reuse footage doesn't doesn't mean that there's still like secretly people living there it could just be for the capital's ease they don't actually want to send reporters out to district 13 but it's also the fact that 75 years later they're making the point to put a reporter on tv and be like yeah our our most recent tests tell us that it's like the environment in district 13 is still too toxic to suit living there it's been 75 years and you still have to get on television and remind people that there's nothing there. Hmm. Kind of, kind of seems like you're hiding something, especially with the added reuse footage, like added onto that. But the, they basically agree that like, like after her conversation, she kind of concludes like, yeah, it's probably, there's nothing there and it's just whatever. And also even if there is someone there, they're not doing anything anyway. So what good does it do me to worry about it? Complete change of topics to talk a little about PETA. Um, first of all, one little thing. There's, like, the scene where the peacekeepers first show up or, like, are at her house and she has to, like, cover up what she was doing. And PETA and Hamish are there. And they, oh, my God. The two of them are so smooth, I guess, is kind of the word I, I'm looking for. Like, like, the way that they are just so easily able to, like, come up with a story and play off of each other to, like, seem like everything is fine and nothing is happening because like we we know that PETA has that like charisma like we know that about him and Hamish is like when you think of him you think of like the opposite of being charismatic because like he's a very difficult person to like but behind all the like drinking and and snark and like just everything about him sort of his hostility towards the world he can actually be like pretty charismatic and he can, he can pull it out when he needs to. And this is one of those moments where they're like, oh, he's actually pretty good at this. And a lot of that comes from the fact that he's been mentoring tributes for the past 25 years. And a big part of being a mentor is teaching your tributes how to get sponsors by being likable. Um, so he has to like know what he's doing in that area. And I think that at times it does come naturally to him, especially with when he's like playing off of someone like PETA, who we know that is his strength. But beyond that, Katniss and PETA's relationship is improving a lot um, after they sort of agreed, like, let's at least try to be friends if we're going to have to literally be married for the rest of our lives, probably. Um, and it's really complicated. But, you know, if we can at least like get along. Um, and so they start working on Katniss's like family book which is basically like it's got like all kinds of stuff like information about like plants with healing properties edible plants like just general survival knowledge how to survive like in the woods you know stuff like that and so they kind of start adding to it 
but you know Katniss is obviously not the artist Peta is and so for a lot of these plants like, it's really important that you get the details right because like eating something poisonous like it's something like that like it's literally life or death with some of these things so you need to be able to know exactly what they look like and so she basically will describe things to him and Peta will do like sketches until it's right and then they'll like paint it into the book and she loves watching Peta paint and I think that this is like they have a lot of like big romantic moments you know like big gestures stuff like that but I will always eat up these like little moments like her just watching him paint getting so fixated on like his his mannerisms and like the little things about his appearance that she would never notice before and like the way that he gets so concentrated and also just like the ability to appreciate someone you care about doing something they love is like really meaningful especially in sort of like a relationship that's been as rocky as theirs not not even necessarily through like any fault of their own but just like because of their circumstances and so to have them like get these little moments where they can just like really appreciate each other's company not have to play for any cameras not have to like think about the things that are going on in their lives but just to like work on something together that they both take like pride and and find joy in doing like those are the moments for me those are the ones um but yeah they're really starting to like get close here and and appreciate each other's company in a way that they didn't really have before and I love that for them and for me getting to read it (laughs) um okay here's a big topic that I want to get in today because I have like a million thoughts about it and it's finally like really relevant so obviously we have our quarter quell going on here and there's been two other ones the 50th one had double the tributes and Hamish won so you know that next week yeah yeah we're gonna get into it um but what I actually want to talk about today is the first quarter quell, the 25th games, in which in which the people of the districts had to basically vote on who they were sending. Which, first of all, just let that scenario sink in for a second. Yeah, exactly. Um, but also, here's where my thoughts go from that. First of all, is like, oh, that's crazy. That's terrible. Um, but then... Who do you vote? Who do you vote for? And that's what I actually find interesting to to wonder about, because obviously in districts like the career districts like one, two, four, they would just vote for the strongest person, a person who was probably going to volunteer anyway, you know, because they want that win. But then you think of like some of the higher districts, like 10, 11, 12, that don't even really want to send anyone. It's like there's people who are like really wanting to go. Um So I have multiple thought processes. One is that like you would still vote for the person in your district who you think is like strong and maybe has a chance of winning just like one for your district because it would be really good for you to have the win but also just like so you're not sending like a young child who has no chance of winning to their death when you could send like an 18 year old who can fight Um, because that feels more likely than a scenario where it's like oh none of us like this person so we're just going to send them because like some people would do that but I don't think enough for that to be who actually gets sent you know like it's it's just bad when you think about it um but my last thought is and this is kind of crazy but what if they what if they voted for the politicians children like each district has like a mayor they have head peacekeepers those people's kids are still a part of the reaping what if they voted for them 
out of like hatred for these leaders. And I'm not saying that's what happened, but I'm not saying I don't think it's possible because no, actually, that's kind of spoilery, so I'm not going to say it. But I don't know. Food for thought. I'd actually, I'd honestly be interested in hearing what other people think about this because I think about it too much. Um, but yeah, I think probably the most logical is that they just voted for people who they think would have a chance of winning, who were like 18 year olds who were pretty strong. But in my brain, I'm thinking politicians' kids, like the mayor's children the head peacekeeper of that district's children, especially in the districts where we know that like the peacekeepers were a lot more cruel. And this was 50 years before this and things were obviously a lot different. Um, anyway, those are my, those are my thoughts, um, which I know you're thinking like, why have you spent so much time thinking about this? It's literally mentioned like once what the premise of that quell was and then never again. Um, but like, I have to think about it because I have to think about the quarter quells a lot because the 50th was won by Hamish Abernathy and the 75th is the plot of Catching Fire, which slays. So, you know, I have to be thinking about the 25th too. Also, I think the idea of having to literally vote to send a child from your district who you know to the games. And also, flip side of that, being a child who is getting sent knowing that your district literally voted to send you to probably die. That would definitely impact your attitude going into the games, especially because like winning a lot of people, a big motivation for winning other than like not dying and like maybe their family, if they have any, is like the rewards it will bring to their district, especially in the districts that are like literally starving. But like imagine if your district voted to send you to the games and then like to and like thinking you were going to die and then they got all the rewards when you won, like. I would I would have many feelings, I think, that if I were in that situation. Um, but yeah, if anyone has any thoughts about that, please like tweet them and tag me or or DM me or email me, like literally anything, because I want to know. Um, the next thing I want to talk about that's like also kind of related to the quarter quells is this thought that Katniss has that like maybe they had actually like switched their plans for this quarter quell based on things that were going on, which like feels obvious also like like as soon as that card is read, or at least as soon as Katniss is like, mm, this feels a little intentional. You're like, yeah, it really does. Um, which it's interesting because the movie actually like expands on that in a way that the book can't as well, because we can see the other side of that. There's actually a deleted scene where someone switches the envelopes. Anyway, um <laughs> I think about that one a lot. But also I don't okay, no. Because I have a whole segment where I talk about deleted scenes during the movie episode. So I'm not going to get into it. I'm going to stop myself. But that's actually one of the deleted scenes where I don't feel super upset about it getting cut. Because it's really obvious that that's what happened. Anyway, okay, moving on, moving on. I got it out of my system. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like, are we really going to believe that they just happened to write this down for the 75th games? Like, it wraps everything up way too neatly for the capital. When, especially when you think of, like, District 12 literally wouldn't have even had a male and a female like Victor up until this year and the two and the the one person like from that district and like one of the only people in the entire country who is guaranteed to be picked is Katniss the person who is literally causing the biggest problem for them yeah but I, I but I'm sure it was just a coincidence right no absolutely not um and obviously she's smart so she figures that out pretty quickly because she knows that everyone in the capital, or like not everyone in the capital, but most of the higher up capital officials want her dead, especially Snow, who 
controls everything because he's the president. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's it's really not looking like it was a coincidence. Okay. Actually, no. I have one more thing. I have one topic that I am dying to talk about, but I think I'm gonna save it for the end just in case I like go on and on. Um, so I actually want to talk about like, and this is something I, I have kind of talked about, like Katniss's sort of like need to be the protector of her family, including her mother, who like should be doing that for her. But she also like refuses to be vulnerable around them. Like the there's a scene where she like breaks down crying, but like right before that, she's like, okay my mom and Prim are going to come in here. So I need to like compose myself and pretend that like everything's fine and, and not let them see me sad because I need to be the one reassuring them when she literally just found out that she's going to have to go back into the hunger games. And she's like, I need to put on a brave face. But as soon as they walk in, she like breaks down and then they're there like comforting her and giving her, getting her like food and, and water and like just holding her and being with her. And it's, it's really like, she realizes kind of that they I think this is a big moment for her because it help, it can be like a moment of realization of course coming at a time when it's like uh, she feels too late because she's literally going off to the quarter call and she has no intention of, of surviving by her own design because she wants Peter to live but just like the um the way that she never gives her family an opportunity to look out for her like they try to do it um, but she needs like feels this need to be strong around them all the time. And so having this like moment where it's it like may be one of the last times she ever sees them where she gets to break down and they are there for her and support her. And it's also important because I think that, you know, with Prim, she like knows Prim's got her back. Prim's got her back, but Prim is also like younger and she's like the older sister. So, you know, but also I think that sometimes she doubts that her mother is really truly there for them because she wasn't for a long time. And so, and she's like trying to prove herself, trying to improve things, but Katniss doesn't always give her a chance to prove herself because she always kind of like takes on that sort of motherly role when it's needed. Um, and so this is a big moment where she proves to her like, no, I'm here and I'm present and I'm equipped to deal, to help you deal with the things that are bothering you as much as I can, you know, there's nothing they can really do for something like this. Like, what are they going to do about it? Um, but like just that comfort and, and like having her whole family there to provide that for her and like being willing to let them comfort her is something that is very difficult for her, but to have her finally kind of cave into that so close to her leaving for the second games to maybe never return is really big and is really significant and adds to this support system that she has because I've said it before and I'll say it again she needs to have a support system because otherwise this series is unreadable like yes a lot of horrible and traumatic things are happening to her and it is difficult to read a lot of the time but there's always at least someone to fall back on and she's like never completely on her own like there are definitely things that she has to go through alone as, as everyone does, but she has people who are there in her life to support her through these things, even when she doesn't want their support, even when she doesn't ask for it. But like, just having them there is what really matters to me being able to read it and not feeling like I'm just reading about this 16 year old girl going through the worst possible things and having absolutely no one to fall back on. That's not an enjoyable read for me. But when she has a system of people surrounding her who love her and support her, like that is where so much of the interesting like interpersonal stuff comes in. And that's like obviously what I love about it. You can tell by 
the proportion of time I spend talking about stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, I think that like this, this is sort of like that next step in like specifically mending her relationship with her mother that has been so broken for so long and maybe will never be completely fixed. But I think her willingness to let her mother help her is one of the biggest things she has to relearn. And I think this moment is huge for that. And so I just love it a lot. And also just the fact that she gets to like break down and cry and have a terrible time because she is having a terrible time. And it's better than her just like, she does definitely try to keep things really bottled up, um, especially when other people are around for their own sake or like for the sake of not trying to like put her problems on anyone else. But like, obviously expressing your emotions to other people is healthy, but just like letting things out can be healthy. Like I talked about that with that moment in the first book where she like smashes all her dishes because she's so angry. And like, and like when she like now in this book just like starts completely sobbing and like can't even get out of bed, like those intense emotional reactions, yes, are what happened when you bottle up your feelings for so long, but also can be very healthy because you need to let those emotions out or else they're just going to fester and get worse and worse and worse until something even worse comes along. And like she frankly cannot afford to have something like that because she's now going back to the games and she needs to be on her A game because she is determined to get Peta out of there alive. And he's also determined to get her out of their lives. So they've been training hard. Um, so yeah, it's like just having a moment with her family where she gets to just break down, let everything out, and then have some time to kind of recover as much as possible before the reaping is really, really huge for her character. Um, and also just for like getting to see female characters in media like express strong emotions because a lot of times it doesn't happen it really doesn't um especially with anger like I think anger is a big one where you know so often women have to like kind of suppress their anger and and like pretend it doesn't bother them and like to have her have these moments of like true like rage that she gets to let out physically often like oftentimes it's even like a physical thing like the smashing the dishes it's like something that is becoming more common for female characters, but like at the time of this, uh, these books, it was rare and like it's still more rare than it should be. Um, but I think she has such like well-rounded emotions and emotional depth to her character that has so many layers and is just like beautifully written. And I really love that. And I think it's what makes her such a powerful female character. Even now, all these years later, people still look to her. Now, let's talk about what I've been waiting anxiously this entire episode to talk about. So here's the thing. We all know how I feel about Hamish and Katniss. So you understand the weight of the sentence that I'm about to say. This section has my favorite moment between the two of them in the entire series. And I know what you're thinking. That's a high bar. And that is high praise coming from me, especially. But it is it's a truthful statement. Um, and you can hold me to that because I don't like, I like it literally is my favorite. I'm not going to be saying that about every other scene that they're in. This is the one. And the scene in question, obviously, is when she goes to him after the Porter Quell announcement and tells him they need to see, need to save PETA. This scene, man, I don't even know where to start. First of all, she shows up there and Hamish hey is like, you know, PETA was here like 45 minutes ago telling me that he needed to go into the arena again and save you. And the gist of this conversation is Katniss and Hamish basically coming to an agreement that 
they both are kind of shitty people and they need to save PETA at all costs. Not true, obviously. They're both incredible people. But, and this is something that I talk about a lot with them, they like feed off of each other's self-hatred. Self-hatred feels a little bit strong of a word, but I can't think of, there's a better word for it, but it's, it's not, it's blanking on me right now. But anyway, but like they have a, they have a lot in common, obviously. But they all, one, uh, some of the big things they have in common are things that each of them would perceive as their own flaws. And so when you see that in another person, you become even more aware of it in yourself. And so they kind of like feed off of that negativity. And that's not to say that their relationship to each other is like not healthy, because I think that it, it, it definitely fluctuates. Like there are definitely points at which they are not good to be around each other. Um, and like, that's just the reality of it. But also like, I think that they help each other so, so, so much in a way that literally no one else could have done for them. But like, they literally are like, no, no good person ever wins the games. But like, maybe PETA is that person. Um, And we know that Hamish specifically made the choice to try to save Katniss in the first games. And the reason for that is because he knew how much PETA wanted to save her. And he thought that like, if the two of them were both working at it, that they could find a way to get her home. But now... PETA kind of feels like Hamish owes him because he chose to save Katniss. So now instead of being like, save me this time, he's like, no, we need to still save Katniss and you need to let me go in there. Which is like, so like, like Katniss doesn't have a choice. She's going in the arena no matter what. She's the only female victor from District 12. The only, the only living female victor from District 12. Anyway, but yeah, she's the only living one. And so she's going in no matter what. PETA, on the other hand, doesn't have to go in. Especially now when Hamish eventually agrees, like, if they draw Peta's name, I'll volunteer for him. So so if they draw Peta's name, Hamish volunteers. He doesn't have a choice. But if they draw Hamish's name, Peta doesn't have to volunteer. But he wants to because he wants to save Katniss. And the idea of, like, having to watch from the sidelines, like, yeah, he would be sort of, like, their mentor and, and helping get them sponsors and stuff. But the idea of, like, watching that for him is agonizing and he wants to be in there literally fighting to save her. But Katniss wants to save him because a big part of that I mean one she just like cares about him but also she feels that she owes him because they like of everything um I don't think I need to dive into that too much but the 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 role that Hamish plays in this is so he has this line in this in this conversation where he says um like something along the lines of like oh I think it's gonna be bad for me no matter where I am basically saying that like yeah, it would suck for him to go back into the arena. That would be terrible. And like probably the last thing he wants. But you know what else is going to hurt probably just as bad or if not worse is having to watch Katniss and Peta, Katniss or Peta, or maybe both of them die. And there's, oh my God, it makes me crazy. The scene makes me literally crazy. I'm like bouncing up and down right now. But no, she when she says like, you have to try to save Peta this time. The line, the line in the book after that is like something flashes across his eyes. It's pain because he, lo- oh my god, he literally loves her. And like they're like their family at this point. Their family at this point, and just oh my god, he loves both of them so much. And I can't. They, I'm literally I'm gonna go crazy. But no, this scene is so good. I literally have it pulled up because I'm like read, rereading it as we speak. It's so good. And I need to like have all the exact quotes because I need to break this one down. Yeah. You know what? Here's a, here's a special little fun treat for today. For anyone who isn't rereading and is just using these as like recaps, you need to hear this conversation. So 
I'm gonna do a little a little live reading. Um, this is gonna be really exciting because I'm not, I don't enjoy doing this. Um, because I think I was really gonna go through and like break this down and like bring up all the quotes I needed to bring up, but like the quotes I need to bring up are like every single line. Um, so it gets better if you just hear it. So this is your me performed audiobook. But yeah, because I think that like I'm trying to, you know, I definitely think there like are people listening to this who are reading along, but I understand that a lot of people like just kind of want the recap and the breakdown. Uh, but I think this is definitely a scene that you just need to get. Am I biased? Absolutely I am. And I am not ashamed to admit that. But this is actually like my favorite scene between the two of them. So I'm going to read it. This is really fun. I'll probably never do this again. Um, so I hope you all enjoy. So basically she, they have announced the quell. She, she goes to, she, she kind of runs off for a bit and then she realizes like it's either going to be Peter or Hamish in there with him, with her. Um, and then she goes to Hamish's house. And this is the conversation that they have, starting with Hamish. Ah, there she is, all tuckered out. Finally did the math, did you, sweetheart? Worked out, you won't be going in. I'm sorry, every time you see sweetheart, I go insane. Anyway, sorry, I'm trying not to have commentary. <laughs> worked out you won't be going in alone and now you're here to ask me what he says i don't answer the window's wide open and the wind cuts through me just as if i were outside i'll admit it was easier for the boy he was here before i could snap the seal on a bottle begging me for another chance to go in but what can you say he mimics my voice take his place hamish because all things being equal i'd rather Peta had a crack at the rest of his life than you i bite my lip because once he said it i'm afraid that's what i do want repeated a live even if it means Hamish's death. No, I don't. He's dreadful, of course, but Hamish is my family now. What did I come for, I think? What could I possibly want here? I came for a drink, I say. Hamish bursts out laughing and slams the bottle down on the table before me. I run my sleeve across the top and take a couple gulps before I come up choking. It takes a few minutes to compose myself, and even then my eyes and nose are still streaming, but inside me the liquor feels like fire and I like it. Maybe it should be you, I say matter-of-factly as I pull up a chair. You hate life anyway. Very true, says Hamish, and since last time I tried to keep you alive, seems like I'm obligated to save the boy this time. That's another good point, I say, wiping my nose and tipping up the bottle again. Vita's argument is that since I chose you, I now owe him anything he wants, and what he wants is the chance to go in again and protect you, says Hamish. I knew it. In this way, Peter's not hard to predict. While I was wallowing around on the floor of that cellar, thinking only of myself, he was here thinking only of me. Shame isn't a strong enough word for what I feel. You could live a hundred lifetimes and not deserve him, you know, Hamish says. Yeah, yeah, no question he's the superior one in this trio. So what are you going to do? I don't know, Hamish sighs. Go back in with you, maybe, if I can. If my name's drawn at the reaping, it won't matter. He'll just volunteer to take my place. We sit for a while in silence. It'd be bad for you in the arena, wouldn't it? Knowing all the others, I ask. Oh, I think we can count on it being unbearable wherever I am. He nods at the bottle. Can I have that back now? No, I say, wrapping my arms around it. Hamish pulls another bottle out from under the table and gives the top a twist. But I realize I'm not just here for a drink. There's something else I want from Hamish. Okay, I figured out what I'm asking. I say, if it is Peta and me in the games, this time we try to keep him alive. Something, <laughs> something flickers across his bloodshot eyes. Pain. Like you said, it's going to be bad no matter how you slice it. And whatever Peta wants, it's his turn to be saved. We both owe him that. My voice takes on a pleading tone. Besides, the capital hates me so much, I'm as good as dead now. He still might have a chance. Please, Hamish, say you'll help me. He frowns at his bottle, weighing my words. All right, he says finally. Thanks, I say. I should go see Peter now, but I don't want to. My head's spinning from the drink and I'm so wiped out. Who knows what he could get me to agree to? No, now I have to go home and face my mother and Prim. 
Okay, everyone applaud. I know that was such a great reading. I only stopped to comment like one or two times. Um, yeah. So like when I say this literally makes me feel crazy, like now you know. Um, so you're welcome if if you hadn't read that one in a while. It's always a fun one. Every time I've read it like a million times, like just I'll just go and read that conversation sometimes. But still, when I was rereading it for this episode, I was like, oh my God. But yeah, so much in there, so much packed in this little conversation. We learned so much about Hamish just from this one conversation with her. But basically the gist of it is that Hamish is their family and he really loves them. And also he has a lot of friends who are victors as well, like outside of District 12. A lot of his, he's friends with a lot of the victors from the other district. Um, But just the fact that like, yeah, it would be obviously really bad for him to have to go back from the arena because one, like, hello, it's not good for anyone especially someone who's done it before and still has the trauma from that. But also the fact that the people he'd be having to kill in there would be his own friends. But also when he's on the outside, he's still going to have to watch that happen. And he's going to feel basically powerless to save Katniss and Vita. Um, and also just knowing that like, they're not going to get away with what they got away with last time. There's no way both of them are making it out. And it's really unlikely that Katniss is going to make it out because like half the point of this probably is to get her killed. Like I'm going to be real. Like, yeah, to show, like, that the victors are not as strong as you think they are, but also in terms of, like, standing up to the Capitol. But also, um, they also need, like, a, a quote-unquote, like, neat way to get rid of her that's not going to, like, raise eyebrows in the districts um, as much as, like, literally just executing her would. Because then also the Capitol, like, yes, they orchestrated it, but they look less like the bad guys when it's another victor having to kill her in the arena versus, like, them straight out executing her. But also, yeah, it's not good. Like, he literally cares so much about them. And I just... Also, yeah, the line about, like, you could live 100 lifetimes and never deserve him. The two of them just feed off each other's energy. And, like, it can be bad because they both... They have a lot of things about themselves that they really do not like. And they see that in each other, too. And so they kind of validate each other's own, like, like yeah, I'm, I'm never going to deserve PETA. And Hamish is like yeah no you're not and it's not because like he's trying to be hateful it's because they're kind of the same and and like he knows or he feels that Peta is better than him and therefore is is better than the both of them but yeah they agree to try to save Peta, and it's like so hard for Hamish and I and and it's not because he doesn't want to save Peta, obviously but it's just the knowledge that to do that, he has to lose Katniss. And and like, it would be the same going the other way when they agree to save Katniss. He would feel the same way towards Peta, but he recognizes that he kind of owes, like he owes both of them at this point, but he owes Peta. And what Peta wants really is to save Katniss, but like they know that the best way they can honor Peta is, or like, like return the favor to Peta almost is keeping him alive. And that he deserves to live like a good long life. Not to say that neither, that the other two of them don't, but I'm saying that like through their perspectives, they think that he's more deserving of that than either of them. And yeah, just back to Peta, the fact that he, the second they made that announcement, ran to Hamish's house and was like begging to save Katniss. He's the best person. Who is doing it like him? Who is that level of loving another person? To where you're literally, the first thing you think of is not, oh, I'm going to have to go back into the Hunger Games and, like, maybe die and go through all of that again. It's, but the person I love could die and I'm willing to volunteer myself to go have to fight just so that she might live. 
and he does volunteer and I wouldn't be me if I didn't say it but like don't you ever just think about what would have happened if if Haymitch and Katniss had had to go into the arena together anyway I'm not gonna dwell on that though but yeah so this conversation is actually my everything and I actually think about it all the time and I might now that I'm rereading it maybe I'll like photocopy it and stick it on my wall just so I can see it every day but there's just truly so many lines packed into there that I'm like I I needed to get into this one and look I managed to do a live reading of it and still not go over the amount of time I like to have for my episodes I really had to like plan out my topics for conversation for this chat for this like section of this chapter though because I knew that if I didn't I would just talk and talk and talk about it and that's why I saved it for the end too Thanks for joining me this week on Tales of Panem. Next week is the first week of the month, so I'll be doing my monthly character study episode, which will be on Hamish Abernathy. If you have any specific questions or topics you'd like me to cover, you can DM them to me on any social media or send them to my email, which is talesofpanem at gmail.com. If you'd like to leave a review or rating of the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it would be very appreciated. Thanks again for listening, and I'll be back next week.